good morning. Uh, my name is Grant, one of the pastors here. Thankful to be here with you guys. Uh, don't have any uh, good Halloween stories or anything like that. Did see one Halloween uh, Halloween decoration that I like. Uh, it said the only ghost in this house is the Holy Ghost, and that's about. Yep, there you go. Hey, that's about all I got for you guys this morning. Uh, also taking place uh, tonight is uh, the World Series. Uh, World Series Game Five takes place tonight, um, and it is uh, between the Atlanta Braves. And the Houston Astros uh, Braves are up 3-1 to one right now. So I don't know if we got any Braves fans in here. There you go. Uh, the Braves uh, had a really good run in the 90s, but they kept running into the Yankees. And so it's kind of uh, been a long time coming for them. So glad to see them back and doing well. Uh, but uh, uh, Major League Baseball, I love to watch it. There's so many games. I, I normally actually sit down and watch it uh, when the World Series comes around. Uh, but I always think about uh, all of the greats, all of the really, really good baseball players. Uh, and one uh, hitter that always comes to mind is Tony Gwynn. Uh, Tony Gwynn uh, was known after his 20-year Major League Baseball career as one of the greatest and most consistent hitters of the game. Uh, and so if any of you guys have played baseball, uh, had kids playing baseball, uh, there's a lot that goes into it mentally, uh, into the game, especially with hitting. Uh, a lot of times you see professional batters, they talk about their approach to the plate, uh, the attitude that they bring up to the plate. And so when they step into the batter's box, that they have a mindset, and they know what their approach is, and they know what their attitude is when they step into the batter's box at the plate. Uh, so here is what Tony Gwynn said about his approach to coming up into the batter's box. He says, I establish what type of hitter I am. I establish what I am trying to do when I get up to the plate. And he said, my goal was pure and simple, to put the bat on the ball. That's a lot easier said than done. Uh, he goes on to say, we can't be so locked up on the result. We really have to focus on the process. And the process is, if I can go up to the plate and do things the right way every time, then my chances of success, my chances of success in the result go way up. And so how we approach something, the attitude we bring into something, impacts how we deal with it, impacts how we handle it. As Tony Gwynn steps into the batter's box, he knows that his approach and his attitude impacts his swing and his success in hitting the ball or not. And so, which is going to bring us to our big idea this morning. It's going to be up on the screen, attitude and approach. Going to have you say attitude on the count of three. One, two, three. Attitude and approach on the count of three. One, two, three. Our attitude and Approach. I'm going to leave that there in case any of y'all act up. I'll have it ready. Uh, but let's go and look at Matthew chapter 7. I invite you to go ahead and turn there uh, with me this morning. We've been going through our series, Kingdom Life, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount found in the book of Matthew. It's the first book right out of the gates in the New Testament. I invite you to turn there if you watch it online. I invite you to turn there as well using whatever copy of God's Word that you guys uh, have. Uh, so uh, attitude and approach, our big idea, our big theme. I've loved what we've been able to go through and talk through over the last several weeks. I invite you to go back and listen online uh, to some of our most recent sermon series that we go uh, as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so attitude and approach, you can also take away some of the big ideas, the takeaways through those messages and apply them to this same part here. We're still looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Some of those would be, hey, what are the priorities? What are your motives? Uh, may we be salt and light. 
uh, don't uh, sweat it. You won't, reg- uh, you won't regret it. And also for us to look at uh, how we can die to self and live our lives for him. Uh, but this morning we're looking at attitude and approach. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Here we go. Verse 1. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Verse 2, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Now, these two verses here are probably, um, if it's not the top, it's up there with the top, two of the most quoted, most referenced uh, Bible verses by people outside the church. Uh, you, you go around and you start talking about something and somebody says, whoa, Christian, now, easy now, you can't judge. Don't judge lest you too be judged. Now don't start talking about somebody, you, you can't judge anybody. You're a Christian, you're not supposed to do that. And so you, you've probably heard that before, you've probably heard that phrase before, and, and it's used a lot and it's brought up a lot. Um, and so with, this con- uh, with the context of this, we have to look at it. And so if we were to really believe uh, everybody that judges something is wrong, then we have to believe Judge Judy's got it coming, right? Uh, especially in small claims court. But we look at Scripture to interpret Scripture. We look at it in its context. And so we clearly see that there is judgment that takes place. There's judgment that takes place in the Old Testament. There's judgment that takes place in the New Testament. Jesus uses judgment on others to point out uh, times of correction and to bring them back to God, to point them to truth. We're told in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, that if another believer is overcome with sin, you who are godly should humbly and gently, humbly and gently help that person back onto the right path. And in doing so, which would involve us judging somebody. But it's how we do it. And so we would be silly to think we can't judge. What we have to be careful about is how we judge. What is our attitude and approach? And you're going to see that question up on the screen. What is your attitude and approach when you judge others? Uh, Some rabbis would say that God had two measures um, when it came to judgment. Uh, One would be justice. The other would be mercy. Uh, Justice would be you get what you deserve. You got, uh, you did this, and this is what you got coming to you. Uh, Mercy would be compassion. It would be forgiveness. And so with God's judgment, we see both take place. We see justice and mercy. Justice and mercy. But if we were to look at judgment only on one term of justice, it could get really, really harsh, especially if God were to look at us in our sins and judge us solely with justice. It could be really, really harsh. So when it comes to judgment, we have to have a balance of judgment and mercy. So we show mercy. Uh, Matthew 5, 7, one of the Beatitudes says, God blesses those who are merciful. For what? For they will be shown mercy. If we show mercy, mercy will be shown to us. So when we judge church, when we judge Christian, we need to show mercy, compassion, forgiveness. Verse 2 goes on to say, the standard you use is the way you will be judged. So the mercy and judgment you show will be applied to you as well. And back in Matthew chapter 6, when we were talking about prayer, we're told, and given this example of prayer, it says, we pray to ask God to forgive us of our trespasses. So what? So he will forgive us of our trespasses. We pray for God to show mercy. 
So what? So he will show mercy to others. So we will show mercy to others, so he will show mercy to us. Uh, continue reading with me in Matthew chapter 7, verse 3 through 5. He gives us this example here. He says, verse 3, And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? He says, hypocrite. Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So he uses this uh, hilarious example, this funny example, just to get his point across. Uh, we were going to get a, a log up here to kind of demonstrate this, but with the prices of lumber, we can't do that right now. Uh, but, but just a, a, few, a few for you guys, just to kind of get this in your head. He's pretty much saying, stop pointing out the spot of ketchup on somebody else's shirt when you're swimming in ketchup. He's saying, stop worrying about the scratch on someone else's car when you're driving a beat-up Pinto. Okay? He's saying, stop getting onto your kid, your neighbor, or friend for their bad attitude when you come home with a bad attitude every day after work. You see, in this example he gives, both individuals, both, have a piece of wood in their eye. One is much bigger than the other. And so we could say that they're both struggling with the same type of sin. Both have the same sin problem. And so at times we can think because someone else's sins are public or someone else's sins sound a lot worse uh, than ours that, that we are doing better than them and we can call them out. But we need to examine ourselves before we point the finger. Where is the mercy? Where is the mercy with the judgment? Stop calling out a speck when you have a log. There's going to be a quote up on the screen uh, from a man named Eric Sorensen. He says, the goal of our judgment, the goal of our judgment is to bring people to the knowledge of the forgiveness of their sins. Not to just point out someone's sins. If all you're doing is pointing out people's wrongs, then you're wrong. We need to go into judging sin with the end goal of bringing people to the gospel with bringing people to the gospel. And so I'll ask you guys a few questions. How much mercy have you shown to those you judge? Where's the compassion? How many people have you brought to the gospel by judging them? And what's your attitude and approach when it comes to calling out others for their wrong? Francis Schaeffer says, unless we're ready to cry tears, to cry tears over the sin, then we need to be quiet. We should be moved by compassion for them, not moved by anger to come down upon them. And so we're told to hold our brothers and sisters in Christ accountable. By all means, that does not mean ignore the sin, but as iron sharpens iron, we hold each other accountable. In church, beautiful things happen when we hold each other accountable. Beautiful things happen when we show mercy with judgment. And so our end game is to call out and help bring, reconcili help bring reconciliation to them and their relationship with Christ. But we can't do that. Only God can do that. But we are to hold each other accountable. What's our attitude and approach? What's your attitude and approach? Uh, this next passage we're about to get into is sometimes referred to as the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, uh, which pretty much says anything you ask for, you will get, which isn't true. 
uh, it's another passage that's taken out of context. We're going to jump into this. Uh, keep reading with me here in this passage that we're looking at, verse 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 says, Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. What is Jesus talking about here? Trick-or-treating, right? I mean, it says, keep on asking, and you will receive. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. Actually, if you use this, you'd probably be arrested for trespassing or attempted breaking and entering, so don't do that tonight. Um, but we are told to keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. Like a never quit, don't give up attitude and approach to it. This passage teaches us persistence in prayer. Persistence in prayer. God's people are to seek Him constantly, repeatedly, continually, without stopping. Uh, we looked at chapter 6, uh, Matthew chapter 6 with Nick, and Jesus, uh, he, he instructs us and tells us a little bit about how to pray. He says how not to pray. He says, don't pray to get attention. Don't pray and let your words be babbling. Be, be sincere. Nick asked the question, what are your motives when you pray? And here we see this example of praying with persistence. Keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking. And what is your attitude and approach when you pray? Uh, we're told to have prayer and uh, pray with persistence. Uh, and we got to remind ourselves in this culture and the day and age that we live in, praying is not like ordering something off Amazon. We don't just click something and expect, okay, two days later it's going to be here and then it's over with and it's all good to go. That, that's not how it works. We get so caught up in how we want things at this time in this way. But God is telling us that we need to be persistent. He repeats, 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 keep on seeking, keep on asking, keep on knocking. We can turn to God and ask Him for help. And we go to God and we repeat the asking. We repeat the seeking and we repeat the knocking. And this is the image Jesus is giving us in our persistence in prayer. And so we see that everyone who asks receives. So to those following Jesus, those who have made the decision to follow Jesus with your lives, those who are called children of God, everyone who asks receives. What an awesome thing, encouraging thing for us to read and hear this morning. To those not following Jesus, you can look at Romans 10 where it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And invite you that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that you can call upon the name of the Lord, make that step, take that decision to follow Jesus. Realizing that you are dead in your sin, that Jesus lived a sinless, perfect life, died on the cross, overcame the grave to pay for your sins and for my sins. And if you would simply believe in him, call upon his name, you will be saved. Uh, he continues to give... Uh, an explanation about this, Matthew chapter 7, verse 9 through 11. He says, you parents, you parents out there, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, your heavenly father, Give good gifts to those who ask him. 
Anyone ever given your child a snake before? I had one in the first service. Their hand kind of went up. I wasn't sure what was going on there. I didn't really want to ask either. Anybody? So, like, as parents, like, we want, we want the best things for our children. We want good things to happen to them. But on our best day and on our best attempt, we still fall short and fail, coming close to how much and how well our Heavenly Father loves us, His children. His gifts are so much better. We're told that for everyone who asks, receives. And so does that mean whatever I ask for, I'll get it? No, it doesn't. Because as children of God, we need to know that God will give us good gifts. We need to understand this. God gives good gifts what we need. And sometimes that means keeping us from certain things as well. When it comes to giving gifts, God will do a much better job than us sinners. Much better than our earthly fathers. And so how much more? He says, how much more? Charles Spurgeon says this. He comments on this saying. He says, he does not say how much more, but he leaves that to our meditations. Just to stop and think of how much more that is. And so for me, I have to like pause and take a step back and just think of what our Heavenly Father has done for us. How he loves us and the good gifts he's given me and the good gifts he has in store for us that are yet to come. Luke 12 says the hairs of your head are all numbered. Psalms 147 says God is abundant in power. Jeremiah 1 says before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Deuteronomy 10 says he is great and mighty. Psalms 116 says he bends down to listen to you. And in Psalms 8, the psalmist says, who is man that you are mindful of him? This God is great and mighty and all-powerful and all-knowing, and yet he still loves. He still bends down to listen. He still cares for you and knows the numbers of hairs on your head. And he's telling you to come to him. He's telling you to come ask, come seek, and come knock. I am listening. And he asked for us to take this step in the relationship with him, to come to him, to seek, to ask, to knock. We saw last week from Todd's message that, that God provides for the birds and flowers of the field and how we are so much more valuable than them. We're so much more important, and he provides for them, and he will provide for us. And when we pray, we need to know who we are praying to, the God of the universe. We need to have the right attitude and approach when we come to him. We need to trust that our God will give us good gifts, that he has good things in store for us. And sometimes, sometimes, that means he tells us no. And that we need to wait. What is your attitude and approach when you pray? And so I would challenge you guys to examine your prayer life, if you have a prayer journal or write down your prayers or want to start that, just to kind of keep up with your prayers, what it is you're praying for, assess them. When we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we start to see that we are angry, we're filled with lust, we're adulterous, we're oath-breaking, we're revengeful, we're hateful, we're greedy, ones who don't properly pray or fast, we're worrisome, and we're judgmental. But, Jesus tells us we can leave those things, and he calls us to live out this kingdom life. 
And we need help to do it. God provides and gives us gifts by the Holy Spirit's power. That when we make the decision to follow Jesus, that the Holy Spirit marks us with a seal and dwells within us, that we have the power and the ability to live this life, that it is not within me to do good things. These good gifts, these good characteristics of being sought in light, of not lusting, being slow to anger, not worrying, not judging others harshly. Grant does not want to do those things. I need God's help. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to help me with these things. Like the fruits of the Spirit, like joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. I need God's help in these things. These are good gifts. I can't do these things on my own, and I need God's help. So maybe something we should be seeking for or asking for or praying for are these good gifts. The very first beatitude is that God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. What's it talking about? It means that God blesses those who realize their own spiritual bankruptcy. If you realize you're in need of God, God will show grace and help. The one who realizes this will be impatient to seek the gifts that only God can give. We just simply seek and ask and knock. And so for those who are poor in spirit, those who realize we can't do this on our own, that we aren't living out the fruits of the spirit, we aren't living out this kingdom life, what an invitation for us that we can seek and ask and knock that God would give us these things. We can come before God and ask him for these things. So maybe what we need more than anything are good gifts from God. So maybe instead of praying and asking for a million dollars, maybe I ask for wisdom so I'll know how to handle my finances. Maybe instead of asking for that one family member or coworker uh, to take a job in Timbuktu, I instead I pray for and ask for patience, love, mercy, and forgiveness to be shown out in me so that I can show them Jesus. Maybe instead of asking for all my worries to disappear, I understand that problems and worries come and that God will give me what I need to get through them. And maybe instead of complaining about the speck in my friend's eye, I ask God to help me see the log in my own. He's saying, I'll give you what you need. But what is it that we're asking for? What is it that we're praying for? How persistent are you in prayer? What kind of gifts are you asking for? James 4, verses 2 through 3, it's going to be up on the screen. says, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. Your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. What are you asking for from God? What are your motives? What is your attitude and approach when you pray? God will give us what we need, but are we seeking and asking and knocking? May we be persistent in our prayers. He continues on in this passage and jumps into verse 12. Uh, this is another very commonly known verse in the Word of God. It's known as the golden rule. Uh, verse 12 says, Do to others whatever you would like them to do to 
you. It says this is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. So we could say like the entire law, entire word could be boiled down to this command, but we're not, okay? We're not going to do that. Um, but if you like needed to start somewhere, you could look at this verse, but please do not end there. There is so much more that we need to learn and read and take in from the word of God. But you could use this. Love is at the core and we're told to love others. Love your neighbor. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. Take action, church. Do. Live it out. Verse 12 here is the attitude behind verses 1 through 5, which we read earlier. The attitude behind how we judge others. Do to others how you would have them do to you. And so what is your attitude and approach toward others? What is your attitude and approach toward others? Uh, I got this uh, image that's going to pop up on the screen for you guys just to kind of check out, uh, kind of help. Uh, help you guys understand uh, what the golden rule is. Um, so what you see there on the far left is an X. Um, and so there are other teachings out there uh, that kind of teach the golden rule. It's, it's, it's like they're putting a spin on it. We'll say the golden rule is positive, meaning that it's, it's asking for action to be taken place, saying do this so this would be, uh, would be taking place towards you. Um, and so there's other rules out there that say, hey, don't punch somebody in the face so you don't get punched in the face. It's pretty much saying the negative uh, form of this. So it's pretty much saying don't do anything. That way, nothing bad will happen to you. It's not what Scripture says, not what Jesus is saying here. So move on to the next one. So we see these two arrows making a circle here. A lot of times what we do with this is we say, you know what, I want something good to happen to me. So if I do something good to someone, I'm going to be hoping that something good comes back around to me. Some people may call that karma. I uh, invite you to take that idea and throw it out the window, kick it across the street on the interstate, and wait for an 18-wheeler to run it over. Um, and the next is going to be an arrow. And so this is what the golden rule is, is that we act. We do. We take action. Not expecting or wanting something to come around back to us. But we are living out the word of God, looking at what it says, and doing it. We're doing it. And if we really look at the word of God, the golden rule actually looks more like this. We're doing, we're doing, we're doing, and we're doing. With nothing in return. That we take action, that we live out the word of God. We do unto others as we would have them do to us. So if we say to ourselves, if I, was in this, if I was in this situation, how would I want someone to treat me? What would you like to have done to you? Then do it. That's the action you take. Because we know what our God has commanded us to do, and we know what our God has called us to do. We act. We go. We do. When Jesus is asked in Matthew 22 what the greatest commandment is, he replies with this. This is the first and greatest commandment, that you must love the Lord your God. But he doesn't stop there. He keeps going and says, a second, a second is equally important. Equally important. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And so we take in everything from the Sermon on the Mount, 
all that Jesus has covered, all that Jesus has gone over, and he reminds us of love. Love is at the core. Love your neighbor. We're told to love others. What is your attitude and approach, church? Christian, what is your attitude and approach? What is your attitude and approach when you judge, when you pray, and what is your attitude and approach toward others? Like Tony Gwynn uh, stepping up into the batter's box and when it comes to hitting, um, how he approached it, he knew it was going to impact the way he handled it. And so how we approach the batter's box, how we step up to the plate with the right attitude is going to impact what kind of swing we make whether we make contact on the ball or not. When we judge, we need to show mercy as well. When we pray, we need to be persistent in our prayers, trusting that God will give us the good gifts that we need. And when it comes to how we treat others, we need to act, we need to move, we need to do, we need to love others. Father, we come before you this morning, God, Thank you for the gifts that you have given us. Thank you for the love you have shown us, God. God, how great is your love for us. And in response, may we simply live our lives for you, God. May we examine ourselves, look at ourselves, at what approach, what is our attitude, God, when it comes to judging others. Are we showing mercy, God? Help us to show mercy. When it comes to prayer, are we treating it like an Amazon package? Or are we repeatedly going to you, turning to you, repeatedly seeking, asking, and knocking, God? Believing that you will give us the good gifts that we need, God. Help us change our approach, change our attitudes, God. And when it comes to loving our neighbor, to loving others, God, help us to do it the way you have commanded us to, Father. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.